Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Phil Mills, pastor of Lansing Seventh-day Adventist Church. And now, here's Pastor Phil. You say it again, church. It's a privilege to be here in this temple of time. It's good to see each one of you here. I'm grateful for how God is moving around the world and in our church. How about you? Two baptisms in a row. Thank the Lord. We have a number more that are coming up over the next few months, Lord willing. And I trust that you'll keep that in prayer, but God is on the move. You you watch the news, and it's like you're just seeing prophecy unfold in front of you, isn't it? Afghanistan's a mess. Other places in the world are a mess, but I'm thankful our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. What do you say? And we are going home. But between here and there, now and then, i.e. between now and then being the second coming, there's some work God needs to do on my heart and on yours. Hence, I almost, as I was thinking about it afterwards, the sermon title today is It's a Difficult Question. I could have entitled it, It's a Difficult Topic. It's a Difficult Question. The reason it's difficult is not because it's hard to talk about. It's, it's because it's hard for me to let Jesus change my life. So before we move in, would you bow your heads with me as we ask God to do the miracle of grace we need? Father in heaven, as we bow before your throne today, we need Jesus to come and speak to us. We need Jesus to change us. Father, we are in grave and solemn times in earth's history. And you are longing to come back to take your people home. You want to take us home. You want to end the mess of this world. But there's some work that needs to happen on my heart and on others' hearts. And so I pray that here today you will send your Spirit to fall upon us and to teach us and to change our hearts to reflect Jesus. So we lay this time in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn them with me, if you would, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. It's an interesting time in Christ's life and ministry. 
Prior to John chapter 17, Christ has been in the upper room with His disciples. He has finished washing the disciples' feet. Judas has moved on to go and betray Christ. If you go back a couple of chapters, Christ has given quite a bit of teaching over John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And as we come into John chapter 17, Christ is beginning to pray to His heavenly Father that God would do a miracle in His disciples. But what's amazing about John chapter 17 is the prayer of Christ is prophetic in what it covers. I don't have time to get into it this morning, but if you read through the prayer of Christ, you will see that He walks through the history of the church until the second coming of Him when He is finally reunited with His people. Just by way of introduction, let's quickly look at this process. If you go down to John chapter 17 and verse 14, 15, and 16, you will see, are you there church in John 17? Notice what it says, I have given them your what church? Word. And the world has what? Hated them. When did the world ever love God's people? Never. It's a trick question. Never has the world loved God's people. And if you go and you look in earth's history, there is a period of time when God's church and His faithful people were especially persecuted. Church, when was that? During the Middle Ages. During that period of time, God's people were under persecution. In verse 15, Christ says, I don't pray that you will take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, verse 17. Sanctify them by your what, church? Truth. Your word is true. As God's people were going through the dark ages, God's word was removed from most of the population. To own a Bible was illegal. But God, through the power of His grace, restored the Word of God and His truth to the people. Someone should say, Amen. And as the Word was restored to His people, light began to shine and God's people and the world at large was lightened with the glory of God. And a people were raised up who were sanctified by the power of Jesus Christ's Word. The Word is powerful. It's transformative. It recreates the brokenness of our lives. Your word is truth. Verse 18, As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the what? Church? Truth. This isn't the point of the sermon this morning, but I do want to touch on this because you can't ignore this. The truth of God's Word is the only thing that will change your life when it's applied by the power of the Holy Spirit. The brokenness that you're facing in your world, God's truth will lighten the blackness. And you can look at this as you see the dark ages and you see Luther nailing the 95 Theses. You see Luther translating the Bible. You go and you find the other Reformers translating the Word of God and the Word of God became available to the population. The Protestant Reformation sweeps through Europe. The Pilgrim Fathers land in the United States. And this new idea that was unique to history 
begin to form that people could make decisions based on the freedom of their conscience and religious freedom begin to come and the advantages we have today as a culture and a society are because of the light of God's truth shining out to a world that was in blackness and darkness. Thank God for His Word. But God didn't give His Word so that I could have a nice iPhone and that you could sit here in air conditioning, which is very nice. God gave His Word so that we might become like Jesus. It wasn't so that I could drive here in a car and not have to ride on a horse and buggy. It wasn't so that I could enjoy a nice warm shower this morning, albeit that is nice. And all of those, church, the reason science has advanced as far as it is, you can see this in Daniel chapter 12, is because the light of God's Word has shined on this world. And when God's light shines, it not only gives us evidence of salvation, but it completely transforms the society that you're in. Don't miss this. God's Word is powerful. The advantages we have are because of God's Word, but God gave it to save His people. We're about to move into verse 20-23, through 23, which will be what we will spend the remainder of our time together studying. But there's some things that need to happen before we get from here to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, in our society today, I'm afraid, and within our circles, it's easy to think, well, the world just needs to get bad enough so that Jesus will come back and take us home. You follow what I'm saying? Is that we look at, we say, oh, there's... And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There are signs of the second coming of Jesus Christ all around us. Do we not see them? We see the fires that are happening again this summer seeming to be possibly even worse than last summer. We've seen the earthquake that hit Haiti. We've seen the wars and rumors of wars that are happening right now in Afghanistan. We see the tension that's going on between people. Not to mention that we're in a pandemic right now. Are you with me? All of these, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, all Christ says are signs that He is coming soon. But church, it's not the badness of the world that Jesus is waiting for before He comes back. There is something God is waiting for, and that is His character reproduced inside of His people. John chapter 17 and verse 20 and 21. Notice what it says. Let's come to the point. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word, verse 21, that they all may be what? Let's say that one more time. That they all may be what? One. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be, what's that word again, church? That the world may believe that you have sent me. If ever there was a time in my life that our culture is celebrating division, it's now. 
Have you noticed that? Division seems to be everywhere. There are those who think who are on one side of the vaccine question. And yes, I did say vaccine. There are those who feel strongly on the other side of the vaccine question. There are those who feel strongly about masks. There are those who feel strongly against. There are those who feel strongly about certain lifestyle choices. There are those who feel strongly that that's none of their business. There are the Democrats and there's Republicans, but within those different camps, there is fracturing happening on every level. I could go through a long list of things that in our culture today, you know what it is, is fracturing us and dividing us and creating dissension and disunity within our culture. And there are times when people are at fists over these types of questions and it is splintering us into smaller and smaller groups because the last thing Satan wants is people who love each other and are connected together. In church, what bothers me the most is that there has been some of that creeping in to the Christian church at large. And we're part of the Christian church, are we not? Please say amen on that one. We are. You are a Christian, amen? And could what's happening creeping into the church at large even be something that I am in danger of inculcating? For the sake of vulnerability, openness, and the sake of this topic, I struggled to even say this, but I'm going to because I want to make a point. But I don't want anyone to think I'm making a point that they should follow my example. I'm not. My wife and I have chosen to be vaccinated. There are other people in our church that have looked at the issues and said, we're not going to. And church, I respect that decision and so should you. This isn't a time for us to get caught up in having debates and discussions about whether you should or you shouldn't. That's a personal decision, church. We need to leave that with the Lord. Because the example that we are Christ's children, that we're sons and daughters of the King of the universe, that I can love you more than the choice you make about certain issues that are going on in our society right now. And I can love you enough to be able to have a conversation with you and understand that we may see it differently. But church, if we can't even talk because we're so worked up about something, we'll never be able to grow closer together into Jesus Christ. Verse 22. Notice what Jesus says. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be what? The glory of the Father and the Son 
And the Holy Spirit in the context of this verse is that they are what, church? One. Just as we are what, church? One. Verse 23, I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in what? One. The world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. In a world where everyone is fighting, what a testimony it is that in the Lansing Seventh-day Adventist Church, by the grace of God, we are one in Jesus Christ. It's a difficult question because church, it's complicated. I get that. There are ramifications for the decisions we make. I understand that. But I believe in a God that is big enough, and I believe you do as well, that can accommodate the differences of perspectives that we have and can all lead us along and allow us to come to the place where we can converse and talk without emotions getting in the way and understand I don't see it your way, but I will pray for you. You are my brother or my sister in Jesus Christ. Let's go forward as a family in Him. I was reading from Testimony Treasures, Volume 2, page 360. Those of you who are taking notes, that whole section is really powerful, but page 360, paragraph 3. Halfway through the paragraph, it says this talking about those who would bring up discussions and divisions over topics that aren't really important because we have a message, church, and that is that Jesus is coming soon. The three angels' messages is our message. Let's not get divided on this other stuff. Notice what the words say. Why do they not quote, talking about those who are trying to bring division in, why do they not quote the words of the angel? Notice what the angel says. Press together. Press together. Press together. Three times repeated. Press together. Why do they not repeat the admonition and state the principles that in union there is strength? In division there is, can you guess the next word? Weakness. What does Satan want our church to be? Weak. He wants us to be ineffective in the community we're in. He wants us to be lost and all the things that are going on in the culture around us and to become so worked up about them that we forget that we're a family with a mission to take the Gospel to the world. In unity, there is what church? Strength. I want to be strong, don't you? I want to be strong, don't you, church? So how do we do that? It's a difficult question because we're human. We have these things called emotions. And God gave those to Him. Emotions are not bad. But they can make it very difficult sometimes for us to come together. I want to touch on a couple of things here in the last few moments of our time together. This is from... Letter 4, 1890. A letter written back in the 1890s. 
Written by a lady by the name of Ellen White, you can look it up online, March 9, 1890, to the Brethren in Africa. I want you to notice what this inspired counsel says. If one of your number decides that he cannot cooperate with his brethren and has no desire to work because of a difference of opinion, have you ever been in a situation where someone has a different opinion than you? Are you alive? <laughs> yeah, we have, right? Notice what we're supposed to do. If one of your number decides that he cannot cooperate with his brethren or sisters and has no desire to work because of a differences of opinion, the course to be pursued is without a question. What are we to do? Because the prayer of Christ is we become one and we are moving forward and then someone says, I, I don't agree. And there's a difference of opinion and you feel that division beginning to come in. What are you supposed to do? Notice what she says. The course to pursue is without question. Humble yourselves before God. Now she didn't say tell the other person to humble themselves before God. You, humble before God. Now what makes this so hard is we're quick to see how someone else needs to change their ideas, their perspectives. Because frankly, if I was wrong, I would change. You know what I mean? So clearly I'm right. Clearly, I need to help them see it differently. Because it's a, well, Christ calls it the opposite. He says it's a plank in my eye and a speck in. But we flip it around in our minds. So first she says, humble yourselves before God. And then she says, resort to prayer. For you cannot and must not Attempt to work at variance, i.e. at difference. Church, we have a great work to do this next year, do we not? God has called us to be missionaries into this community and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a broken greater Lansing area. There are people in this area that need Jesus desperately. And what I want to challenge us to do is we must, between here and the second coming of Christ, there has to come in to us as a church a warmth, a love, and a unity that the world, the Lansing City, wonders at because this church is different than what is going on in the world because this church is a place of warmth, a place of understanding, and a place of brotherly love and kindness. And this church, when two individuals are not able to come along together, will humble themselves, move to prayer, and wait until God has worked the variance out. Church, i got to tell you, I have not done this like I should, but I have been convicted over this week that by the grace of God, we must do this going forward because Jesus wants me to be one with you. Can someone say amen? And then she says this. And this is the other side of it. If I choose not to be one, these words come to me. From anyone who persists in stubbornness and self-will, i.e. refusing to come into oneness, God will remove His Spirit and another will wear the crown that was for Him. 
Church, this is not optional. This is critical. What needs to change? I need to love myself less and love others more. I must let my pride go and put Jesus first. And I must quit depending on myself and depend on Jesus. She says this, learn lessons of meekness, lowliness of heart, and lessons of obedience, and willingness to do God's will in His way, and not in their own power. Our time is up. But God is looking for a church that will become one. There's a group of people, you've heard me talk about them before, called them Arabians. Arabians are fascinating to me. They were a movement back in the 15, 16, 1700s. Individuals that had been persecuted from all over came and landed in Moravia under Count Zinzendorf on his property. 300 of them. Different perspectives, persuasions, religious, etc. There was tons of fighting. Huge division. Zinzendorf realized the only way God could move that forward was that the division would be put aside. And so he took the prayer of Christ and began to work individually with each person, pleading with them to put aside their differences and come together in Jesus Christ. And God worked a miracle. And that community became one in Jesus. The Holy Spirit was poured out in a mighty way in the month of August, in the beginning of the 1700s. They started a prayer meeting that went for a hundred years and ended with the calling of William Miller to take the message to the world. They understood righteousness by faith. John Wesley the understanding of righteousness by faith came from the Moravians. They were the first missionaries to the world. That little band of 300 people have impacted the world to this day because they chose to become united in Jesus Christ. This church. I love this church and I love you. And I believe that God has brought each of us together, because as a united church, we can take the gospel to the world. I don't know that we have that much division in our congregation, but I do know that the world is really trying to push this splintering, and that's a danger to come in here. And so I am appealing to you today, will you make a commitment? That by the grace of Jesus Christ, you are going to study and you are going to pray specifically this next week that God will teach you how to be a part of bringing unity to a broken community and unity to bind us together in Jesus Christ. This is God's church. You're part of God's family. The person sitting next to you is a child of the King of the universe. Let's come together in love. What do you say? If it's your desire to commit 
to seek for the unity of Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you tell the Lord that quietly in the silence of your mind? Father in heaven, the message of your word comes down clearly to our hearts and minds. You want us to be like Jesus. Christ is called for unity. And after the unity comes the next point in the prayer is the deliverance of your people. By your grace, may you help us to be united in Jesus Christ. We thank you now. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Phil Mills, pastor of Lansing Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit his church this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the church at 5400 West St. Joe Highway in Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 1050 a.m. Access their website at lansingadventist.org. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.